Welcome to another episode of the No Plain Views podcast. I am Brendan Mintz and he is Harris Eisenberg. And we are here on the Thursday, September 22nd, the start of week three of the NFL season. The Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers will face off tonight. We're here to discuss and dive into the wild week two that was both New York football and the league as a whole. And last week we came out guns blazing with, with that Giants fantastic victory they were able to pull and this week there's no new york team to start but the new york jets and they pulled out what was one of more i mean i just used it but improbable unlikely shocking that was a win that you are going to hold your head high for you hopefully the jets don't hold it too long a short-term memory you got to have as an athlete and you got to be able to move on to the next one but as a fan i know i will certainly be holding on to this one for quite some time i mean it, that was one where you already had your head in a place where you're like, wow, we just fell to 0-2. The schedule is not going to get any easier. You're coming off the week of Robert Sala comments that you knew was about to come back and take over social media in not a positive light. And it just seemed like on the turn of a dime, everything changed. And it's crazy how in sports, narratives could turn so fast because it seems like we went from a Robert Sala mock fest and Joe Flacco essentially being out of a job to Robert Sala being able to hold his head a little bit higher. Not don't get me wrong that the, the comments he made, he even he acknowledged it during the week. Those were more of long term goals, taking the receipts. He's not going out there doing victory laps in press conferences and on social media saying, I, I said, we're going to take receipts. Go look at this. We, we just won. He, he admitted that that was more of a long-term statement, which is what you want to hear. It's about more than one week. But I also want to have his back a little bit considering the amount of flack he took for those comments. I think that was something that I don't know what type of role it played, but I think the players could have had to have responded well to that. And you were able to see they played with a bit of a fire this past Sunday. And you are here now with, with a win. You have a win on your schedule. It's week two. The Jets snapped their 13-game losing streak in September. I mean, just think about that. How many? How long it's been since the Jets were able to get in the win column this early in the season? It gives you a bit of a mo- momentum here. Gets a little bit. It, get, it definitely gets some off Joe Flacco's back. And I mean, not only does it get off Joe Flacco's back, you saw the great celebration in the locker room after the game. He was that. That, that was a great r- rallying moment for the team and for Joe. But now it seems that we've t- like, like I said, things change so fast. Now the pendulum has already flipped to if Joe Flacco is able to get a win this week against the Steelers, can you possibly give Zach Wilson his job back in week four? And that's something we could go a bit into depth on in a second, but it's crazy just how one win and all that is changing. And of course, I personally am of the notion that when Zach Wilson is 100% healthy, he's a starting quarterback. You used him with the number two pick. He is your future. The wins that you get with Zach Wilson will be so much more gratifying than any Joe Flacco win. But it's a conversation that's going to be had. It's sports. That's what's happening. But nevertheless, a great win. Harris, let me let me get your initial thoughts on that Jets comeback victory. Well, I mean, it was a miracle, man. It, it, it really was. You know, didn't exactly have time to watch the game. So you're sitting there and you're like, all right, they're down 13, less than two minutes to go. We're done. But honestly, give credit to Joe Flacco. I mean, he was he perfect? <laughs> Not at all. But you know what? He, he made some big passes when it mattered. 
especially that deep ball to Corey Davis, you know, at that point, you know, that, that score to get him within six and he got a minute 24 left and he finds Corey Davis wide open on the sideline. I feel like the narrative has always been, you know, Oh, in that spot, you know, they're just going to try and go for a long ball, say a prayer, but no, I mean, Joe Flacco and Robert Sala had a plan and, you know, the Jets were really aggressive all game long. You know, you could really tell that there was some creativity going on on the sideline. Even when early in the game, they faked the punt on fourth and one. You know, like they had a lot of creativity that game. I felt like they definitely needed to come out with a statement. And they definitely did with this come with this comeback victory. Now, you know, they made Jacoby Brissett look like a five-star quarterback, which I, you know, Hope never happens again for the sake of the Jets defense, who got a little banged up during the game. But, you know, I do think it was great for Joe Flacco. You know, when he did have time to throw the ball, I thought he was really effective. And, you know, you mentioned it. If Flacco could somehow get you a win next week, there there definitely will be some conversation. But, you know, Joe Flacco looked like a guy who, you know, towards the tail end of his Ravens career was able to put up points on the board and not do anything flashy. Like that's what he was uh, on Sunday. Uh, I really thought he gave the Jets a really good chance to win. Yeah. You're, you definitely have to temper your expectations, what you get out of Joe, but you really did see the best of Joe and the fact that he's always going to be cool, calm and collected. And he's going to take you to that, that when it's triple zeros, like he's not going to just roll over. And you saw that exactly there. You said the word miracle. Listen to this from week nine of 2001. Through week one of 2022, teams had lost 2,229 consecutive games when trailing by at least 13 points in the final two minutes. Streak broken, New York Jets. There you go. Like, that is the level of madness that involved that comeback win. It was really crazy. And Garrett Wilson, that's a great name for you to bring up there. I mean, we mentioned in the the preview for this team that this is a team that was not going to be able to go out and really hasn't had the ability to go out and acquire stars via the trade market or via the free agent market. They're going to have to develop their own stars. And the stars that they have are going to have to come from this roster. And it looks at like Garrett Wilson as a star in the making. Week two, 14 targets, eight receptions, 102 yards, and two touchdowns. And the, to me, the if you were to ask me what's the number one thing that stands out with Garrett Wilson, it's the route runner. I feel like he is just wide open at all times. The separation that he is able to get both in space and off the line, I think has all of the, he has the makeup of a number one receiver. And to have a guy like that alongside Elijah Moore, who I still feel very strongly about as a very, that could be a very productive receiver in this offense. Corey Davis, you saw get loose with that big touchdown late in the game. But Garrett Wilson has, it seems like there's more of alpha characteristics with him. We saw how great he was at Ohio State alongside another rookie, Chris Olave, who's, who's off to a nice start to his NFL career. But Garrett Wilson looks to be that dude. And it's and it's really exciting for Jets fans because we knew we were going to have to have some of the guys on our actual roster turning the stars for this team's upside to actually reach its 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 limits. And it looks like Garrett could be one of those guys. Brees Hall, it seems like that that's now a week after week. He's gotten better. He was able to get into the end zone. He looked way he, he just looked way more under control and poised when he got the ball. And I think that's a big part of this Jets team development. So these young guys, these young skill position weapons all coming together, it's big for the Jets. And you actually mentioned the fake punt. Even, I mean, this is hypothetical, but Robert Sala d- during this, this week, he mentioned that if the Bengals made their extra point and the Jets tied it up on that Garrett Wilson touchdown, they would have went for two. So 
the the prospect of going for two there, that fake punt earlier in the first half to help turn the tides and get your offense going. Those are now two things that we could cite just from this past week that show Robert Sala a little bit of aggression, a little bit of, of his own spin on the game to really be able to, he wants to help make put his stamp on the game in a positive way, help get the get the guys going, play for the win, play for the big moments. And those are two examples that I think stood out. And I thought in referring to trying to win a football game late, you kind of saw that from Robert Sala in the way he kind of ran that last two minutes. I mean, Michael Carter was on the field at running back most of those final two minutes uh, during the game. Um, but and in, in going back to Garrett Wilson, I mean, the thing that stands out to me, obviously the run routing is fantastic, but I love the poise of the kid. I mean, he makes a big drop on third down, right? I think in the third quarter, early in the third quarter when the Jets are driving down the field. I mean, Flacco had probably the most time he had all game long to deliver a pass. And nobody's going to remember that because of the way he just kind of came back and rebounded. Like you see Corey Davis when he makes drops a lot, he just kind of just falls off a cliff and he's nowhere to be found the rest of the game. I mean, I thought it was really impressive that Garrett Wilson was still had the confidence in himself to go out there and run big routes and, and really – he wanted the ball at the end of the game. Like he was the guy who was like, all right, give feed me down the field. Joe Flacco did just that. And yeah, like you said, he's got great makeup. I loved his run routes. I, I felt like on the touchdown passes, it was like Flacco was threading needles. You know, I haven't seen the Jets receivers run routes like that in a long time. You know, I, I thought it was really impressive what he brought. You know, the young players on offense are translating to defense. You know, I thought DJ Reed had a couple big hits in the game uh, at the line of scrimmage and, you know, Sauce Gardner was was all right. You know, the Jets defense did let let up 30 points. But you know what? I, I think ultimately I did like the makeup of the defense overall. It just didn't work out. You know, credit to Cleveland. They had a good offense. And, you know, you just hope this turns over to week three. But I think you mentioned the locker room celebration. And I think Robert Sala's comments kind of ignited a culture shock in the room. And it's like, hey. You know, we got to win for this guy. Otherwise, he's going to get crucified by the media and probably ain't going to be here at the end of the year if we don't perform. So, you know, good for the Jets to get that win for all sides of it. And again, it's just one game and it was a miracle. But, you know, you hope it's good signs to come. DJ Reed, that's a great name just to like not dive into completely. But like, I think it is obvious from a watching perspective what he is what he means to this team. I mean, you could see it on the sidelines. You could see it in the locker room. You could see it on the field. Really, DJ Reed is one of the biggest leaders of this team and it, and it really it really shows so that's very exciting especially from a guy that was outside the organization up until this year to see him come in and make that type of impact but i i mean we we don't know if, if every one of our listeners actually was able to watch this game so i just want to run through the actual logistics of this comeback really fast so with a minute 55 to go nick chubb runs into the end zone to put the browns up 30 to 17 at the in the moment there was the thought process that if he just lays down, they could essentially knee out the clock and the ball game's over. Nick Chubb goes in innocently. I didn't think it was going to make an impact at that time, but but Chubb goes in and then Katie York misses the PAT. So it's a 13-point game. The Jets hit the ball back here and Corey Davis breaks loose for a 66-yard touchdown. Immediate strike back. That is the only thing that could have potentially set them up for what ends up happening. So they make it a 30-24 game. Then the onside kick. And that is the, like, to me, that's the craziest part of all this. I mean, in football, it feels like the onside kick has become extinct. Braden Mann is able to fake going right in the onside, turns his leg around, goes left. The Jets come on top of it. It was such a great onside kick. I think the Jets, normally it's like the, the receiving team muffs it and then it's a dog pile. I think the Jets are the first one on this football. And that really speaks to how good of an onside kick it was. Some crazy stats on, 
onside kicks in Jets history. That is just the sixth successful onside kick in Jets history. The first since 1997. The first successful onside kick in a Jet win since 1972. And the only the second successful onside kick in the NFL that led to a win since 2021. That's just two out of 109 attempts. So for an onside kick to not only successfully convert and then result in the team doing it winning, it's rare. So that is a crazy part of this. And then, like we said, the Jets get the ball back there after the onside kick. They march down the field. Who else but Garrett Wilson gets in the end zone there, and they're able to actually just kick the PAT to go up one, unlike if they were had to go for two there and potentially go for the win. They don't have to. And, and, and the rest is history, really. I mean, just a crazy all-around win for the Jets. I think looking forward, you have the – think did I say the Steelers for the Jets next game? I might have said that earlier in the episode. I, yeah, the they Bengals. got Cincinnati at home. I think it's the Bengals and then yeah. the Steelers. Yep. So j- just to clarify there, but the one thing with the defense that I think we, we just got to touch on really fast is the pass rush. And it's pretty much been, it's really been a non-factor for the Jets this year. I thought that was a part of the team I was really looking forward to. You have Quinn and Williams. He's essentially your, your all pro guy on that defense. Carl Lawson's healthy. You bring in Jermaine Johnson. The Jets have really not been able to get to the quarterback, and that there is going to be no more important thing to do in this game over the Bengals if you're going to want to come out with a victory because the Bengals are actively trying to kill Joe Burrow. He They're on the record to allow the most sacks in NFL history by far, and Burrow is a guy that we know had a huge injury in his rookie year. So if they're going to allow us to just, just get to the quarterback with ease, this is the perfect coming out party for our pass rush. Oh, huge. I mean, it, it needs to be a factor. It needs to be a bigger factor than it was in the Cleveland game, because like I said, I thought Jacoby Brissett was really good in the game, you know, and I thought that was because not only is he quick, but, you know, he had a lot of time to make good throws and he's got some weapons downfield. But yeah, you know, I agree with you on the pass rush and there's no better game to do it than Cincinnati. You're at home, you know, hopefully MetLife's rocking like it was on Sunday with the Giants fans, um, you know. Hopefully there's some optimism for the fans to come out. I think it'll be a big game. I think it's a chance for the Jets to win just based on how Cincinnati has done this year. But I also think the Bengals are looking to make a statement. So, you know, I think it'll be a big game. But I think going forward with the defense, I think um, one thing was the end of the game on Cleveland. A little cherry on top, a little interception uh, to end the game. And percent that was just like the boom. Like everything just came together in those two minutes. And that just kind of clarified what the jets are all about. You know, they got clutch defense when they needed it. They got somehow a miracle clutch offense and Joe Flacco, Garrett Wilson emerging into a big receiver. And, you know, I, I actually think for once early in the season, I'm excited to watch a week three New York jets football game. I really am because, you know, they're going against uh, a super bowl team in the Bengals who went there last year. So we'll see, you know, I'm excited for it. So it's, it's going to be a good one. I think Jets fans are, should be locked in and really excited for this game to potentially go two and one here. If the season ended right now, the New York Jets are in a wild card spot. So what, let's take it week by week, game by game and, and, and keep the good times rolling if you're getting green. So that, that was an awesome win. And, and the giants too. I mean, it definitely was not in the, uh, the same inspiring fashion as the Jets, but at the end of the day, it wins a win. And the Giants are 2-0 and at the, sitting atop of the NFC East. I think you, you can't take that away from them regardless of like when you when that when that ball game ends and you have more points than your opponent, that is that's something to be said. There is there's a lot that goes into that. So the Giants pull out a 19-16 win over the Carolina Panthers. This game was it, it was groggy. It felt like a lot of just a lot of stale possessions, not really any electrifying moments on, on either side, but 
that that's that's one of those things. Not every game is going to be that high flying offensive shootout. And the Giants have shown here that they could, could they could win a tight one when, when it gets a little messy and it comes down to the defense and and grinding it out. They were able to kick a last second field goal there at the at the end of the game to to put them on top. And it, it really it was shared a lot of the same themes, I would say, as their week one victory. I think you saw Saquon Barkley, although he didn't have the type of explosive game that he had. Last time around, he was still able to rush for 72 yards. He still looked good. And it seemed like Daniel Jones, it was just another one of those games where was he a huge deterrent for the Giants? No, but he also didn't really do anything to help them win. It it was nice to see that he didn't have one of those just boneheaded interceptions like he did in week one. Like at least he was able to limit that. But like just like if you watched it, you, you, you sort of saw it. And like, when you look at the line, like 22 completions on 34 attempts, 176 yards, a touchdown and no picks. Like it, it feels like he's, it feels like the giants are sort of transitioning him into this just game manager role where they're like, just don't lose it for us. Help us move down the field a little bit. And we're going to really just rely on Saquon. Like, I, I don't know if that's, if that's putting it exaggerating a little too much, but I think they're at the point here with Daniel Jones, where the evaluation is that he is not, like the early returns on this season and his entire career are that he's not the guy. And you, while you have a team like this with the defense stepping up in the run game, like just, just help us out here. Do not totally strip us a chance by making boneheaded plays in the red zone and just help us get the ball up and down the field a little bit. We're not going to ask too much of you. Definitely can't say you're wrong. I mean, that is the perfect way to do it. Uh, I did think he made some small plays in the game that I thought were, were difference makers. I thought the offensive line was pretty good for him. You know, when he had some time, and he wasn't scrambling. I thought he was able to make some plays. Uh, the touchdown he threw to Bellinger, I mean, it was a, you know, credit to Bellinger for getting in the end zone on that one. But, you know, just overall in the game, I'll touch on two things. One, getting the ball back after the opening kickoff was electric. I mean, that place, MetLife was rocking at the start. I thought it was great, a great atmosphere, good to see. But you're looking at the game, and it's just so boring. Like, I'm following the game, and you see 3-3, 6-3, 6-6, and you're like, geez, what the heck is going on? Daniel Jones probably going three and out all the time. Saquon didn't get going. I thought Saquon opened up really good in the second half, and I think that's because there's a plan in place. Again, like, somebody's finally telling the guy, look, like, this is what you need to do going into the second half. I don't think he's ever had that before. That's why I say this New York Giants team has had a lot of success because of its coaching. I think this is all coaching what they're doing right now. Like you said, they told Daniel Jones what to do. Saquon Barkley opened up a little bit. And you know what? I think we got to start giving a guy a little more credit than he deserves. How about Graham Gano, who since he's come to the Giants has been automatic. I mean, when's the last time he missed a field goal? I don't know. I mean, he's great. He's, he's fantastic. I think he's a top three, top five kicker in the league. And he's very underrated because the Giants have stunk for so long. But, I mean, give him credit. I mean, knocking down a 56-yard field goal with, with plenty of time remaining in the fourth to basically win the game for you, I mean, that's that's incredible what, what he's done there. I mean, it's not surprising. He's a great – if you've watched football, you know Graham Gano is a solid kicker. But the fact that they're relying on Graham Gano to win them a football game, I think while exciting is a little bit of a problem because, like you said, Daniel Jones is just – not making the big play. I thought he made some plays when he had time. I thought Andrew Thomas had another great game and, you know, he just wasn't able to throw that big impactful pass to, to get the giants ahead big on the scoreboard. So, you know, I like that MetLife was rocking a little bit. Uh, you know, the giants again are two and zero. 
God bless Graham Gano's right leg, but you know what? Like, you know, Daniel Jones, like you said, is just managing a football game right now. Is it a bad thing? No, because the Giants are winning, but you know, it's kind of a sign for Giants fans to say, look, if nothing changes, there's going to be a change. I mean, while we're singing the praise of Graham Gano, he was responsible for 13 of the 19 Giants points. <laughs> right. And it's just, I mean, that that is when you look at, I mean, but then again, on the other side, uh, Eddie Pinheiro was responsible for 10 of the Panthers, 16. It was that type right. of game. Yeah. It was one of those games where it was like, could you get in the position to at least attempt a field goal attempt? And for the most, I mean, both kickers really came through. They were both perfect, both in field goals and extra points. And the Giants were able to outdo them a little more in that category. But while they were able to put out this win, I think an interesting thing here that, I mean, th- this is, I mean, it really took light this week and it's going to get even bigger if it continues. Kenny Galladay only getting two plays on the field. I mean, this is a guy that you went out of your way last year to bring into a mega contract to be the number one alpha receiver in this Giants offense, a red zone monster. And he is, ascent- I mean, he's getting benched essentially. I mean, you got guys like Richie James out there who are reviving their careers and Kenny Galladay can't even get, get, get looks and nevertheless targets or receptions, but like he's not even getting on the field. And and Galladay this this week went out and and made some statements that he doesn't like this situation that he should be on the field regardless and and I can't really say I disagree with him when when you were brought in to do this and you're getting paid this money unless there has to be some I mean unless there is something going on that we don't know about whether it be in the locker room or aside from football totally this seems pretty bizarre when you go out and pay a guy that type of money to have a huge impact on your offense and he's not even touching the field. Definitely odd. Him and uh, KT as well. I mean, KT, I think, had two catches and zero yards, and he spent most of the second half on the sideline. So, I mean, it's definitely interesting. So you go with a guy who you drafted high in KT, not getting on the field. Then you pay Kenny Galladay the money, and he's not on the field. It's like, well, you know, Daniel Jones is thrown a Richie James. It's like, it's so funny because you're like, Blaming Daniel, we're all blaming Daniel Jones for not being a good quarterback, but then you realize his best weapon is on the bench. <laughs> so it's not like he's got it's not like he's got an easy guy to throw the football to, you know. So I I definitely find it a little odd, and you know I kind of hope as much as I love what Brian Dayball is doing, uh, you know, the Giants are winning games. I would like to see Daniel Jones maybe expose expand his role a little bit and start throwing the football a little more. You know, I think. You know, they paid Kenny Galladay to be a weapon for him. So let's see it. You know, I think I think the front office is definitely going to have something to say about it. But, you know, as long as Dayball's running the show, I don't think it's changing anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember last year the, the Giants fans were being sold a dream with this Darius Tony, Kenny Galladay type offense. You have your big hulking, big play guy out with Kenny Galladay and you have your shifty, gadgety, quick Kadarius Tony. And it, and it seems like and it's funny because neither of them have had any impact on this this Giants team, and they're two and zero. So, I mean, they got something going clearly, and that that defense is really what was able to to, to carry them here. You mentioned the great atmosphere; it was their defensive coordinator Wink Martin Wink Martindale that really started rallying Giants fans to get out to the stadium and be loud. And he also and he gave them a reason to cheer because that defense really was able to be stout enough to to keep the Giants in this game without scoring touchdowns. So. Shout out to them. I mean, the defense took a hit here. They lose Leonard Williams. That, that's another piece of this pass rush that's now missing. He suffered an MCL sprain. So we don't really know the timeline yet there, but especially when you're missing Aziz Ojulari and Kayvon Thibodeau, that's just another part of this pass rush that is that is going to be out. I, I mean, those other those guys I just mentioned should be 
close to returning soon. So that could at least help that blow. But it, you just keep losing guys that are that have been a big part of what you're supposed to do on defense. So that that's not easy, but the Giants seem to be overcoming. The Giants seem to have a level of stability with Brian Dable that they have not had in quite some time. And to be able to do it without theoretically your two best receivers, your two best pass rushers, a quarter, a limited quarterback speaks a lot to the coaching staff on how they're able to scheme and coach their way into situations that they know their, their personnel could succeed in. Yeah. Like I said, I think the success is all on the coaching. It, it really is. I thought the Giants defense was spectacular last game. You know, I know it's Carolina and really it's Christian McCaffrey and if Baker Mayfield decides to throw the ball well, but you know, I thought the Giants defense was great. And now you have a chance to go three, and zero. honestly, you have a really good chance. Giants are actually favored in Monday night football against Dallas coming up at home. I think that place will be rocking again. And, you know, a divisional, big divisional game. I think it's a good, even though Dak Prescott's not playing for the Cowboys right now, I still think it's a really good test for the Giants. You know, I think for them to get three to three and zero against a Dallas team that they've struggled with in the past, I think is going to be, it would be huge. But again, like this is all coaching. Like you said, the players know their roles. You don't see Kadarius Tony coming out and doing anything or, or saying anything mean or bad about his role not being what it should be. You know, in fact, I thought the post-game celebration on the field was a really good sign that he was, you know, you see the camera shot of Dable and KT having a little chit-chat and it looked like in a positive way right after the game ends, right after it's zeros on the board. So I thought it was I thought that's a good thing. And yeah, like I said, the coaching's been fantastic. So we'll see. Again, they're 2-0. and It's only two games, but there's optimism here for the Giants heading into a big Monday night tilt. No bigger spot. Primetime, divisional matchup, a team that you have a lot of history with at home at your place. Like, come on, let's go. If the Giant, like the Giants could really put an exclamation point on this season if they go to 3-0 and on a Monday night football victory over the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, come on. That would be... That would be special. I think Giants fans got to be revved up for that, for that game, and as they should be. They they put themselves in a position where you could really start. You don't don't get ahead of yourselves too much, but you, you grab a win here, and all of a sudden you're three and zero, and you're in the driver's seat in that division. And of course, with the the NFC is does not have the depth of the AFC. The wild card's always up for grabs. So I think it's. I mean, it was a, a great weekend to be a New York football fan. Both teams go out take victories, a couple victory Mondays for a couple organizations that have not had a lot of those over the past half de- half decade, better part of the decade. So really fun to be able to get on here and talk about those two wins, but it was a, just a crazy week, week wide. I mean, le- games left and right, going down to the buzzer and regulation, overtime, comebacks. I mean, it's almost hard to pick where to start. I'll open us up here with this Ravens and Dolphins game. That was one that just just caught my eye in so many ways. You have the Ravens go out and do what I expected them to do. This is a Ravens team that I projected to win the Super Bowl. And they go out and they're up 28 to 7 at halftime. I'm like, okay, Ravens, the team that I think has serious playoff aspirations, taking care of a good Dolphins team that probably has playoff aspirations, but there's a different, there's levels to this. And I think the Ravens really put that on display. But wow, did the Miami Dolphins show what they're all about in that second half. They have a 28 to 3. We've heard those numbers before. They have a 28 to three fourth quarter where Tua looked like prime Dan Marino. I mean, they, everything in, that you could have dreamed about, if you're a Miami Dolphins fan, 
pairing Jalen Waddle with Tyreek Hill came to fruition. I mean, it was electric offense where you had Tua using these absolute stud weapons on the outside to their greatest ability. I mean, they were absolutely dynamic. That was like, it was, it was something to watch. I mean, you have guys that are dynamic in space that could get behind the defense, like Tua, like Tua was able to do with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And it just, it allows you to have comebacks like that. And it was, it was, uh, it was shocking to see. I think that was a huge statement for the Dolphins. And for the Ra- I don't look too much into it from a Ravens perspective. I still feel really good about the Ravens. But I think the Dolphins coming out with this win on the road, a tough place to play Baltimore against a really good team, huge win for the Dolphins, and a huge sign of what could be with this offense. How about Tua's line? 469 yards, six touchdowns? Like, who would have thought that would have happened, right? But look, no. he's got he's got these playmakers, man. I mean, he throws that seven-yard touchdown little slant to Jalen Waddle at the end of the game. Good God. Like, I had a buddy at the game. He's a Dolphins fan. He was going crazy. I mean, nobody would have expected this, but I think you're right. You know, there's nothing to worry about with the Ravens here, especially because their offense is so dynamic. I felt like, you know, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are two primetime playmakers. And if you give Tua some weapons to throw the football to, he can clearly succeed. So, you know what? I think that is a Miami offense that reached the max potential of what they can be and what the league should be on notice for from them. Because the way Tua was able to throw the ball uh, and just for the Dolphins to stay resilient, it was like they were almost unfazed that they were down three scores at halftime. It was incredible. Is there a receiving core in the league right now that you would take over Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle? Honestly, I don't think so. Like, I mean, Tyreek Hill's <clears throat> excuse me, Tyreek Hill is the fastest man alive. And, you know, Jalen Waddle's just such a good, 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 I mean, emphasis on the good compliment to him. I mean, I you know, I look at all the receiving cores in the league and I just don't I just don't see I'm just not seeing it. I mean, maybe if, if, if this was a few years ago, maybe it could contend with like a Seattle or, or, or even like a, a Rams, but I, uh, even the chiefs, but you know, I'm just like, just not seeing it from any other team. I think that the, the fact that Tua's got guys who can make plays it, with their legs too, is, is something that's super beneficial. Right. For Tua specifically, who does not have the arm strength of some other quarterbacks, being able to just do what he does well, be accurate and get the ball out fast and put the ball in the hands of your playmakers. It's a perfect fit. I mean, to run through these lines really fast, Tyreek Hill, 11 catches, 190 yards and two touchdowns. Jalen Waddle, 11 catches, 171 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, give me a break with these guys. That is, that is some serious weaponry on the outside. And I think the, the Dolphins got to feel really good about where they're at. They actually host the Bills this week. That is a game to keep an eye out on. You have the Buffalo Bills, who right now are everyone and their mothers picked to win the Super Bowl, and deservedly so. They look great, but they're going to have to go to Miami, a team that's coming off a great win, and take on a Dolphins team that also looks to have some serious playoff aspirations. So I think that is a great game to, to keep an eye on. Two AFC East teams that that could not have really looked better to start this season. I think it could be an offensive slugfest, to be honest with you. Another game that I definitely think we got to keep an eye on on this upcoming week. I mean, it's one of the teams that I would say is one of the more polarizing teams between us two and the way we view them is the San Francisco 49ers. Trey Lance goes down with a season ending injury and Jimmy Garoppolo, he he thought he was going to be traded. We thought they were going to move on and he ends up restructuring that deal to stay with the, with the 49ers. And look at this, 
two weeks in, he's the starting quarterback on a team that that he's taken to the Super Bowl once before. So uh, I think this, I mean, I'm, of course I'm not happy. I never root for injuries. That's so brutal for Trey Lance coming off of a couple of years of not playing football. I, you really got to start wondering how this impacts the rest of his career. But for someone that did pick the 49ers to come out of the NFC, I do think Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm, I think it helps that case. I think it's a great thing, to be honest with you. You know, that changed my view on the team. And, you know, I think Jimmy G's got a chip on his shoulder now that he's like, all right, you know, they restructured the contract. How about Jimmy Garoppolo making $350,000 in bonuses for one game? I mean, God, what a life that is. But uh, for a backup quarterback, too. How impressive. But, you know, yeah, I, you know, I felt bad for Jimmy G going in. The reason behind my picks was that, you know, I do think having Jimmy G still around, I think, could have affected some of the guys and their viewpoint on things. But now that he's back as the guy, I think could drive the 49ers to, to really uh, high levels. And, you know, they were able to, he was able to prove it. Like, it's not like we're going in and saying, Oh, Jimmy G's a backup. He doesn't have it anymore. He's still, in my opinion, a very top tier quarterback in the league. So, you know, and he was able to prove it. So I'm excited for him to get one last shot with the Niners. And, you know, I think now that, you know, you look at that division and, you know, Vegas is, just fallen and you know we'll kind of see uh, the Raiders are in the AFC West. Oh, they're in the AFC I'm thinking uh, geographically that's my apologies but I mean hey listen you know I think this is a good thing for the 49ers because you know it's just like we talk about with Baker Mayfield even though it hasn't worked yet you know Jimmy G's got a chip on his shoulder um, he's making a lot of money he wants to make a lot of money I would want a hundred thousand dollars to win a football game every every week so you know what I think there's a great chance for him to go out and do it yeah, no, definitely. It, it, he, we've seen what he could do with, with this team before. They have the weapons, they have the defense, they have the coaching, they, and, and they put the guy back in place again. Like Jimmy G's not gonna go out there and, and do Aaron Rodgers like things, but he's gonna, he knows that offense inside and out at this point, and we've seen the heights he could take them to. So definitely an interesting note there. Another game here: the Jaguars, a twenty-four nothing shutout over the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts were obviously on my we'll call it not happy list after what they did to my survivor pools in week one, tying with the Houston Texans. And yet again, they, they disappoint. I actually, and uh, I'll throw it out there for, for those invested in the Brandon men's survival pool chronicles. I took the Packers this week and the one that I rebought back in. Thank you. Green Bay for taking care of business there on Sunday night football, stress-free appreciate that. But getting back to the Colts here, I mean, not panic button, but when do we start getting nervous here? Matt Ryan, does not look like the Falcons version of Matt Ryan. And the, the Jaguars real, he, here were really able to handle them pretty easily. And I think there's actually, I, I mean, I'm not going to say this was all the the uh, the issues of the Indianapolis Colts. There is a lot of good with the Jaguars here. I mean, we're starting to see the difference of a year or two Trevor Lawrence, of a legitimate coaching staff, getting Urban Meyer out of there, getting Doug Peterson in. Trevor looks way better. You have this dynamic running tandem of James Robinson and Travis Etienne. For all of the, for all of the flack they took for paying Christian Kirk all that money and resetting the receiver market, they were getting clowned all offseason for that. I mean, Christian Kirk, of course, he's no Stephon Diggs or Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill, but he's looked absolutely fantastic this year in an expanded role in Jacksonville. And it seems like he has a great rapport with Trevor, and he is actually playing up to that to that contract for at least through two weeks. It the Jaguars seem to have something good going on here, and they they took advantage of a division rival that has not found their own yet. He really has lived up to the contract so far. And Trevor Lawrence, how about Trevor Lawrence? Showing a little maturity now in his second year of the league. I thought I thought he looked really good 
in the game against the Colts. He was making some passes and some tight windows that for a year two quarterback are scary for a lot of year two quarterbacks. But I think the main thing with the Jaguars, and I think we're seeing it a lot with the Giants and the Jets as well, the Jaguars love Doug Peterson. I mean, I thought he was a very lovable guy in Philly. I just like the culture that he brings. I mean, for an organization that went through so much last year with all the Urban Meyer nonsense, I mean, they needed a guy just to – it was almost like the Houston Astros, you know, getting Dusty Baker as their manager to kind of relieve the the pain of, uh, of the scandals that have gone on in the past. It's like, you know, it's such a difference now that Doug Peterson – is is the head coach of the Jaguars. And you just see it. You just see it team-wise. You see it culture-wise. You see it with the celebrations in the room. It's a special thing that they got going on there. And, you know, we're not saying they're going to make a huge run or anything, but, again, it's just building blocks, you know, and they have a good start right now. Absolutely. And, like, just I'm looking at the slate right now. I mean, it's hard. Like, you want, I want to touch on every single one of these games. Like, there was so much going on. A Thursday night football battle between – the Chiefs and the Chargers. I mean, these are two teams we expect to do big things. That game, the Chiefs went at home 27-24. I mean, the Cardinals-Raiders game was absolutely wild. The, the Cowboys get a win without Dak Prescott against this Bengals team that we mentioned cannot protect Joe Burrow. I mean, the Rams almost choke one in their own house to the Falcons. I mean, that game should not have been as close as it was at the end. They were up 21-3 to at halftime, and the Falcons really made it interesting. I mean, so many games going on this week that, I mean, the Detroit Lions... 36 points. That offense is absolutely humming. I'm on Ross St. Brown, Jared Goff. They are quicking out there. I think I, I love those players. You, I, I hope you feel the same way too. Dan Campbell is legit. I was He's hoping awesome. you were going to mention the Lions game. Cause that was, that was special. Just, you know, you see it in hard knocks, obviously. And you saw it from his opening press conference. I mean, he, what he's doing is spectacular. I mean, you want to talk about, if you're learning to become a head coach or you want to be a coach, just follow Dan Campbell. I mean, what that guy does day in and day out is spectacular. Look, it's all he thinks about, man. He only thinks about the Lions. And I think it's a great thing. You know, he, he has built that culture. Jared Goff, I think it's a good thing for him because, you know, he goes from, you know, a Rams team where the Rams simply gave up on him. And it's like, oh, there's no hope anymore for this guy. But in comes Dan Campbell. And it's like, you know, it's it's almost like a somewhat of a mini revival in a way uh, of Jared Goff. I think it's great for him. And like you said, St. Brown and, you know, all those other guys, they have good weapons on that team. It's good when they can put it together. It's fun because I, you know, I personally think football is just better when the Lions are good, especially nowadays with Dan Campbell's running the show. You know, that's a guy who everyone wants to root for. They're going to get back Jamison Williams, a guy that they moved up into the top half of the first round to get a guy that was breaking the just taking the breaks off of defenses last year at Alabama. I mean, they're going to add a guy of that magnitude to this offense with the way they're cooking right now. Detroit, they got something good going on. And I, it, you mentioned it. It's a career revival for Jared Goff. Resurgence, whatever you want to say. It, it's, it's been really great to watch. But I, I think a theme here with this week was quarterbacks that sort of had murky futures sort of coming together. I think Trevor... Lawrence and Tua were a couple of guys that were on the younger side that teams were sort of waiting to see come into their own. And I think there was another guy that I think we have to mention, Jalen Hurts. I, the Eagles and Vikings, that was a game we viewed as a couple of teams sort of in the similar spot. Both had great week one wins. And the Eagles at home asserted their dominance. Jalen Hurts, he looks better throwing the ball. He's obviously a dynamic running the ball. 
And I think we're really seeing them reap the benefits now of surrounding him with the weapons they did. Week one, it was A.J. Brown. Week two, they get Devonta Smith involved for seven catches and 80 yards. Miles Sanders has been a steady presence in the ground game. This Eagles team looks great. And Jalen Hurts looks like he might be taking a stranglehold on the future of their starting quarterback position. That was a prime offensive display by the Eagles. I mean, that's exactly what they're known for. Hurts is going to throw it. He's going to run it. He did just that. You know, there's not much more to say other than the fact that, you know, again, A.J. Brown, I think, is another dynamic receiver where I think, you know, we were talking receiving core with the Dolphins. I think the Eagles honestly have something something close. You know, I I think A.J. Brown's a real solid number one. I think he is just as good maybe just a little less than, than Tyreek Hill in terms of speed and uh, catch and run ability. You know, I think he's spectacular. So, you know, Jalen Hurts, again, is showing that maturity at a young age. Again, I think this is what, year three in the league for him now? Maybe maybe year four? Yeah, year I think three. three. Yeah, three. So, you know, uh, I think now that he's established himself after last year, I think it's full potential for the Eagles here. And we'll see, you know, maybe the Giants put a little pressure on the Eagles and make it a divisional race. But it's the Eagles' division to lose – until I see something from another team. So their offense is spectacular. They proved it again. And again, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, you know, unfortunately was an idiot and picked the Vikings last week. And that was just really dumb, but you know, Hey, credit to the Eagles. They put on a, a real perfect offensive display. Yeah. I mean, we're at the point now where you start getting into that, like, as we get closer to that quarter mark of the regular season, you start seeing what teams are really about. And I think, the Eagles are one of those teams that like if they could stick another one of these type of performances, like I-, I think I start personally looking at them from a team that I thought was a division winner and like probably a first a first round bounce to a team that like they really could do some dangerous things like going deep, deep in the postseason because they seem to be very well rounded. And Jalen Hurts is the key to it all. And he is showing things that I don't I didn't personally think he had in him. So it's it's great for Eagles fans. They got something great going on there. And it was just it was really just a crazy week of football. I mean, it was one of those where if you were sitting on the couch with NFL Red Zone on, there was nonstop action. And for, it, it's always great from a New York perspective and a league-wide perspective to go in there and, and dive into just, just great games all around. So, uh, I mean, ho- here's to, to week three, having that same level of excitement. And, and I think there's a lot to look forward to. And, and with that, I think we could transition it into a little week three outlook and get into our picks here. To recap, the week two not playing picks. I went two and one hitting my three point pick and my one point pick for a total of four points this week. Harris, you got on the board. You only hit one pick, but it was your three point pick. We both had Buffalo minus nine and a half as our three point pick. They handily took care of the Tennessee Titans at home. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs look like the greatest quarterback receiver duo since Montana and Rice. They are just absolutely, they're unstoppable right now. And we both had similar takes on Buffalo just being the, the class of the AFC and, and and dominating the Titans like they did. So good for you to get on the board there. You got your first three points and we currently stand at six to three in favor of myself through two weeks of our not playing pick segment. So Harris, I mean, kick us off here. What Give me, what, let's hear the three point pick for well, week three. You know, honestly, you know, if you're looking on paper, it was easy to say Buffalo Bills, but I got to scratch it now by just recapping last week and seeing how to, how good Tua was. So they're not even on my list this week. So I'm going with my number three pick. I'm going Baltimore Ravens on the road against the Patriots, minus two and a half. I think that's a solid one. I think 
you know, Patriots pull out a good win against the Steelers, but, you know, at home, Baltimore's dynamic offense, Patriots we know are not going to be the same football team that they were last year. That's my three. Number two, I'm going Rams minus three and a half at Arizona. I just don't think the Cardinals are a hard – I just don't think Arizona's a hard place to play. The Rams are just very dynamic. Kyler Murray has struggled. The Cardinals have struggled. I'm going Rams in that for my number two pick. And my number one pick, call me crazy here, but I'm looking and I'm doing fan duel with the lines. And I see Giants are favored against the Cowboys, minus one. If that's the right line on, on the on this app, I don't know yeah, if no, you, you, got it. you got it. Yeah. All right. So number one, one pick. It's a safe, my one point, but I'm going the New York football Giants going 3-0, minus one against the Dallas Cowboys in prime time at home. I think the elements of the game play advantage to the Giants, and I think, you know, good coaching can hopefully get them to 3-0. Now, just to confirm, your most confident play of the week is the Ravens, correct? Yes. Right. Okay. So I, I, I like it. I love sprinkling in the creativity with the one-point pick. I, I did it last week with the uh, with the Lions minus one and a half and it and it cashed in. I thought that was a fun team to sort of hedge my bets on and it worked out. I, I like going with it. I think the Giants, that's a perfect one point pick coming off of what they've done. What I have here, my three point pick is the San Francisco 49ers minus one and a half at Denver. Now, Denver has looked like a colossal disaster. Russell Wilson does not look good. The coaching staff looks abysmal. I, I, I know it's the road, but the, the 49ers are a team that I, I'm obviously high on. And I just think that is a way more sound operation in San Francisco. And I, I get Denver is a, a difficult place to play, but the, the coach quarterback combination of Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson right now does not scare me in the least. So I, I, I mean, uh, one and a half there. I, I think I, I like the 49ers there. Our one Shared pick would be my two-point pick. I have the Baltimore Ravens minus two and a half for all the reasons you said. The the, the Patriots were able to squeak one out over uh, a mediocre Pittsburgh Steelers team, and the Ravens, you know, are going to be motivated. You know you know, uh, John Harbaugh is going to be in their ear motivating this team. This is one of the best teams in the league. I still feel strongly about that. I think the Ravens could cover by a field goal, even at New England. And then, like I said, my one-point pick is where I like to get creative, have a little bit of fun. And I did it once again. You went with the Giants. I'll take the Jets plus five and a half yes. with the Bengals. Why yeah. not? Let's get some New York representation in our pick segment. Jets are going to be, this is a real chance for them to go two and one here. The Bengals cannot protect the quarterback. Jets at home. Why not? Plus five and a half. Are they going to win the game? It's not going to be easy. You know, Joe Burrow and those boys are going to put up a fight, but could they cover five? But could they cover five and a half? Should I say? Why not? Because. That's my one point pick. That is our no plan picks for week three as we keep moving on here. And, 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 I, and I love the pick segment. I love being able to have something to look forward to over the weekend, keeping, keeping track of how we're doing. You could follow our picks week in, week out at, at no plan views on, on Twitter. So I think that that sort of wraps up what we have to do here, Harris. I don't know if there's anything else you want to, you want to touch on, whether it be NFL and anything else, but, but I think that sort of concludes what we got on the rundown here. Oh, I think we discussed it with our last picks. New York football's back. I think it's so exciting now to finally have a little bit of uh, excitement going on in the tri-state with some football. It's cool. It's good to bet on. So, you know, if you do need recommendations on lines, also give us a follow. Give us a listen as well. So, you know, we are 
obviously excited to see what is going on in New York, but we know what's going on in the rest of the league as well. And uh, yeah, you know, I think it's another great week in the NFL and hopefully for another one week three. Absolutely. I mean, we're getting another thing just to, to cue you guys in on We're we're getting closer to the NBA season. That is something we're definitely excited to, to hit on as we get closer to previewing the both conferences. And of course, we're going to dive heavily into the Knicks and Nets, as you know, we like to, to touch on our New York teams here. So I think get, of course, right now it's football season. We're still all just still in the, the aura of football being back with your fantasy teams, your bets, your survival pools, your teams, but the NBA is right around the corner. And that's something we're heavily going to touch on here on, on no plan views. So get excited for that. I think that's that you, you get a little bit more of a, there's gonna be way more to actually dive into with obviously multiple games a week. And, and the NBA is just such a great, it's just such an engaging league. It's, it's one of those leagues that gives you so much both on and off the court. So really excited to get into that. We'll, we'll keep you guys in, in tune with when we're going to do, we'll, we'll probably break it up. We'll, we'll do an Eastern conference preview and a Western conference preview. So we don't overload you guys too much, but the, it's, it's something I think we're definitely excited to hit on that. Expect as the college football season goes on a little bit more, we'll, we'll touch a little bit more on some of the big storylines there. Nothing too in depth, but we want to make sure we're bringing you guys in on, on sort of everything going on in the world of sports. But I think that's all we got for you guys today. Make sure to rate and review us five stars on Spotify and Apple podcast. That seriously helps out what we're trying to do here. Move us up in the algorithm, get us more exposure. And like I said, at no queen views on Twitter, that is really your best place to engage with us. Take in more of our content. I said it last week. We are going to actively try to do more with the Twitter. We're still getting all these things rolled out, but at a minimum right now, you could keep in tune with our pick segment and always have an easy place to reach out to us. We will, we will reply. We will engage. So at no point views on Twitter, go give us a follow, tell your friends about the pod. It's we're, we're, we're cooking here. Um, it's really exciting. New York football is helping us out. You said it. What a time to be a New York football fan, along with other things going on in New York sports that are definitely exciting. So I think that, that that's all I got for the No Point Views episode number three. I am Brandon Mintz. And I'm Harris Eisenberg. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of No Plain Views. And we hope to have you listen in again for episode three.